Hey everyone, and welcome to the Texas Time Capsule Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Shira. I'm very excited to get this thing kicked off with the first episode. Um, since it's the first episode, I would like to offer a statement of purpose, but before I do that, let me introduce my esteemed co-host, Drew Armendinger. Hey, Drew. Hey, Stephen. Happy to be here. <laughs> Drew is from Houston, Texas. He spent over 10 years as an educator with a focused knowledge base on te- Texas historical events and traditions. Uh, he's going to supply a lot of our factual content that's going to be very central to our discussions. We also have Ben Sawicki. Hey, thanks for having me. Ben Ben has a, a diverse vocational background that's allowed him to travel all over the great state of Texas, all the way from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande. He has experience as a geographer, musician, and naturalist, and this allows him to provide a unique cultural perspective to our discussion. He's also going to handle our editing and sound enhancements, so he's a valuable piece to our puzzle here. Thanks, Ben. And I'm Stephen Shira. I've lived in Dallas. I've lived in Houston. And my main qualification is that I have 37 stamps in my National Parks book. (laughs) I will guide the conversation and try to provide ancillary ancillary content as needed. So I want to kind of give you guys a statement of what we're about. Uh, You know, for years, myself, Drew, and Ben, uh, we like to kind of just sit around, talk about stories. Most of those stories are Texas-centric. And that's kind of more or less what we're going to do with this podcast Typically, when we do this, we're drinking, and so we'll probably talk a lot about drinking, too. (laughs) So hopefully the the discussion's thought-provoking, and ultimately, we hope the audience will kind of get involved and contribute to the discussion via our social media, at Texas Time Capsule on Instagram. That's at Texas Time Capsule on Instagram is our our handle, and hopefully you guys can get involved in the discussion uh, as the podcast come out. Uh, We hope to keep the episodes to around 30 minutes. That way you can listen on your way to work or on your way back from work. So we're going to try to release these first few episodes. And then after that, we will try to establish more of a regular rhythm. But uh, we hope you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, it won't hurt our feelings because we're just having a lot of fun doing this. So let's get started, guys, shall we? Episode 1, Prisons and Prisoners. So one of the cool features at the beginning of every episode is we're going to try to open our time capsule for the week for that episode. And when we offer that, open up that time capsule, we're going to offer up three things that will be covered at some point during that episode. So let's open the time capsule for today, Ben. In today's time capsule, we will discuss the Trojan Taco, South Park Mexican, and the dangers of snoring. So those three topics will be touched upon at some point during our discussion today. All right, prisons and prisoners. So Ben, why is this topic an important or interesting one to discuss? I mean, what, what is it about prisons and prisons, prisoners that make it something that we would even worth discussing. Well, basically, I think what we need to do is, is go all the way back to um, kind of the, the reputation that Texas has for its outlaws, the kind of that, that outlaw culture, that mindset. And what I wanted to start with was kind of how 
Really, the, that outlaw mentality goes hand in hand with the Texas Rangers. And I think, you know, starting from the early years of, of Texas back in the, let's say, 1800s, um, you're looking at a, a place that's just rife with conflict, right? And you've got the Mexicans, you've got the Americans, you've got the, the, the Indians, right. and they're all fighting each other, right? And, you know, they, there's this, this force that gathers to kind of bring order to the, to the Wild West, which is Texas really embodied the, the, uh, that American myth, right, the, of the, the Wild West. So we've got these, these Texas Rangers that come in and really basically help out with the Mexican-American War. I got a great quote from, from Zachary Taylor. He had kind of a love-hate relationship with these guys. And I uh, love this. <laughs> um, he said, the, the mounted men from Texas have scarcely made one expedition without unwarrantably killing a Mexican. There is scarcely a form of crime that has not been committed by them. So these guys were not necessarily lawful men, right? right? It's just right. kind of this... this really fierce independence that the reputation for Texas has. Um, and after the Mexican-American War, you start to see the American prosperity move out west. Right. And that's when you the outlaws kind of come in and the the rangers become the the moral force, right? They they bring in law when these these outlaws like Sam Bass um, yeah. Billy the Kid, all kinds of guys that we've all heard about start moving out west and taking advantage of these opportunities out there. And that's where you, you have like um, journalists from, from up north would come down looking for sensational stories. And that's how the, the kind of the myth of the Texas Ranger and the Texas Outlaw had, had kind of started. Well, they would come down and look for these extra stories, right? And it all kind of started getting, getting bad in the 1870s, after they, they got the Indian raids under control and all of that, right. you get into, uh, you know, these bad guys versus good guys out in the Wild West, and that's where it all starts. I, I like the way you set that table because it sounds like you had basically a lawless area, essentially, right? Yeah. And so as the Texas Rangers came along, they came along because of the need to like institute some sort of justice, whatever you want to call it. And as the Texas Rangers came along, then when they started instituting that justice is when we start seeing the prisons pop up, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. they're a key part of that. And so to Ben's point, that leads us up to how a lot of these prisons came about. And the prisons today, t Texas, believe it or not, um, it has several federal prisons, but actually only has one maximum security federal prison. And that's the one in Beaumont. It's maximum security, but it's not as high security. The actual highest security federal prison is in Colorado. And uh, Drew, they call that one the Alcatraz of the Rockies. <laughs> so, yeah, it? um, it's, I, don't, I think it's, I don't know the exact city in Colorado, but somewhere outside of Denver. Okay. And uh, it doesn't sound like a very fun place to visit. No. <laughs> um, so, that, like I said, there's only really one maximum security federal prison in Texas, but the state prisons system, okay, so the, the main state prison is obviously in Huntsville. And the Huntsville State Penitentiary is it's a big deal. It's not just state it's recognized, but nationally, just because 
number one, it has the busiest execution chamber in the whole country. So that's really what what's that's another fun. source of Texas pride. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we'll touch on that in a minute. But I wanna I wanna first give you guys the rundown on on state prison in Huntsville itself. It's the oldest prison in Texas. It started in 1849. And there's so many cool layers to the type of things that went on there and that still go on there. For example, they did they did a lot of things with the prisoners. Like they had they had art auctions. Okay, so the prisoners would make types of artwork and they'd auction them off. But one of the most prominent activities at the Huntsville prison dating back was the prison rodeo. And th- this actually was still going on up until what drew it that nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty six was the last year of the Texas prison rodeo. Uh, it was an event that just grew and grew. So tell us about kind of how the whole thing kind of got going and what type of what types of things they do at the prison rodeo. Well, the big thing was the reason why they got it started was they wanted to get some funding to educate the prisoners, uh, prisoners that wanted to finish their high school degree or something like that, and they wanted uh, to fund stuff for recreational activities. And they said, "Hey, we'll put together this prison rodeo," and we and they had the local public show up and. They would sell tickets, and that money would go into a kind of pool where they could build libraries and um, things like that, that that the prisoners could get an education. And, well, and uh, so what about the uh, different events? What type of events would they have? Yeah, well, I mean, well, obviously they had all the rodeo events and stuff like that. Uh, they also had some other really interesting activities like um, milking cows. <laughs> I guess who could milk a cow the fastest? <laughs> Uh, bear, bareback basketball. So I guess they were playing basketball on horses or, or donkeys, and they were wearing their stripes and things like that. Just so, like their prison uniform. Yeah, the, just, it must have been an interesting scene. Well, true. That's probably honest. that's probably why they called it uh, the name for it was the wildest show behind bars. Yeah, <laughs> that's how they, that's how they marketed it. You know, and it, I mean it was a big deal. They had one of the sponsors. If people remember, one of the main sponsors for it was Oshman's, which ended up becoming Sports Authority. Oh. It's a sporting story that comes Sports, and then I think Sports Authority went out of business. Okay. But yeah, that was one of the main sponsors. And to Drew's point, I mean, they had Johnny Cash play at one, uh, and then I think the last one, which was in 1986, Willie Nelson played. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're talking about a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I also I also found out that recently, as recently as last year. Uh, a Texas legislator tried to uh, file a bill to bring it back. Really? But I, I, you we know, gotta find I, out who that yeah. was. And get, I, get give them a donation. Yeah, we, right. we need this to happen. Yeah. We definitely need this. Well, to we'll take some of the donations we get from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a good so our listeners are really giving back. Right, and so maybe we can post some of the pictures from the old Texas Rodeo on the Instagram account because there's some really cool photos. I mean, a lot of people there. So that was one of the you know just to give you an example of some of the activities that went on at the prison. But back to the, the, what we were talking about earlier, the, the biggest thing that the Huntsville prison is known for is the executions and the death row. And it's kind of, there's been kind of an evolution as to how this thing is gone. I mean, up until 1923, uh, the mode of execution was hangings, okay? And then in 1923 is when the electric chair came about because, you know, Thomas Edison and mm-hmm. electricity. Mm-hmm. So then they went to the electric chair for a period of about 40 years. But then after that, they act, there was kind of a, a pushback in the state of Texas, and they did away with death row for a while. They didn't do any executions. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Hmm. But then they started doing them again, I think, in 1974. And in 1977 is when they started doing the uh, lethal injections. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's been 
since then. So one of the cool things, and, and you guys can kind of imagine, there's a lot of different aspects to the whole death row execution thing. And one of them is, you know, the last words that the prisoners oh, yeah. made. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so it, it, like they, would, they do give them an opportunity to give the last words. Now, I, I will say this. I personally, I think the best last words was from a guy who wasn't in Huntsville, but he was born in Texas. James Rogers was, I think he ended up getting arrested in Utah for, he murdered somebody in Utah. And at this time they were doing a firing squad. All right. And uh, they put him, they put him up against a firing squad and they said, this guy maintained his innocence the whole time too. And they, they asked him, do, do you have any last requests? And he said, yes. Does anyone have a bulletproof vest? <laughs> that was his. That was his last request. So, so Ben, it's just it's just kind of interesting that someone like that, even at his hour of death, could maintain uh-huh. that sense of right. humor. Yeah. But here's the thing, Ben. This is my whole thing with with James Rogers. Okay, so he maintained his innocence the whole time. Mm-hmm. I don't think if you were really th- thought you were innocent, I don't think you would have that sense of humor at at the end. Like you would be yeah. saying, "Hey, folks, you're about to kill an innocent man. Yeah, right. Are you yeah. sure you want to do this?" So I don't know. I don't. That's a different mindset. Maybe he was yeah, guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so one of the other cool things, one of the other cool things is like the last meals. And this is mm. something that they do do it, have done in Huntsville, all right? I guess, so the, here's the reason they stopped doing it, all right? They stopped doing it in the 1990s because Lawrence Brewer, who, if people remember, I don't know if you remember the James Bird, it was like, oh, a, yeah. it was like what established the hate crime laws in Texas. Yep. Yep. James Bird murder happened like in East Texas. Mm-hmm. He, he got Jasper. Dra- it Jasper, yep. yeah, he like dragged behind a car or whatever. Well, this was, uh, Lawrence Brewer was one of his murderers, all mm-hmm. right? He was on death row, and this is what he requested for his last meal. Two chicken fried steaks, a triple patty cheeseburger, a cheese omelet, fried okra, a pound of barbecue, three loaded fajitas, meat lover's pizza, a pint of bluebell ice cream, nice bluebell, <laughs> a slab of peanut butter fudge, and three root beers. And so he ordered all this stuff, they brought it to him, and he refused to eat it. And, and so, so after that, so after that, they just said, right, we're not doing There's this no anymore. more meat. Yeah. Exactly. So it always takes wow. one idiot to ruin yeah. it for everyone, you know? Wow. I think it's well, kind of, why would they bring all that food, though? I, yeah. I mean, not one man can't eat all that. I know. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous. But I think it'd be cool since, you know, in the spirit of things, uh-huh. Drew, maybe we should go around and say what, if we were on death row, what we want for our last meal. Uh, so, Drew, what would you want for yours? If I, if I was on death row and I had my last meal, it would probably be something like a, like a triple bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, right. I like you it. Know, French fries, just, you know, everything on it. Just like, the, and, I mean, just... I mean, huge patties. We're talking like <laughs> half pound. You know, be a pound and a half. Burger. Just be a glutton. Yeah, Drew. That would. That's my choice as well. You know what I would do? I would get the La Lucha cheeseburger. There you go. There you go. That's right. That's right. I like it. To keep it local. Yeah, yeah. Just keep, keep it local. I think I would want the Wednesday night half price fajitas from Papacitos. <laughs> No, it always tastes better. It always tastes better when it's half price. Combo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then also. If you go to Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, the buffet, they have these mashed potatoes. They're like they're like these heavenly, pillowy, <laughs> and they're full of butter, too. Mashed potatoes. I, literally, I'm talking like I went back up to that buffet line like four times just for these mashed potatoes. So those would kind of be the ones. I, I don't know oh, if yeah. they could accommodate those requests, but that's, that's what I would want to do. So or we want to encourage the listeners, too, to get on our Instagram page. And uh, tell us what your last meal would be. Maybe next episode we can share some of those with the the audience. (laughs)
So those are kind of some of the fun, the other fun aspects. But I know when we talk about prisons, what everyone wants to hear about is the attempted prison breaks. And they've had a couple of those <laughs> in Huntsville. I think, Drew, you're going to tell us about a prominent one. The biggest one um, is the 1974 prison siege. Uh, it was led by uh, the South Texas kingpin of heroin at that time in the 70s. Uh, his name was uh, Fred Carrasco. And uh, him and two other inmates led the siege. Um, Carrasco, I mean, he was serving a life sentence. The other guys were, I believe, on life sentences, life sentences too. Uh, they somehow um, snuck in pistols, uh, smuggled them into the uh, into the prison. Do you think they, I'm guessing something from the outside? Yes, yeah, something outside. from the outside. Um, kind of hard to find how they did that, but they got they got them in, and they used uh, these hostages. They got 11 of them, prison workers. Um, and so pretty much the prison was just in complete chaos. Uh, they were able to barricade them off into a central area of the prison that was that they could kind of fortify. Uh, within hours, the FBI and the Texas Rangers showed up, uh, but they were outside. You know, they were outside. They could get into parts of the prisons, and negotiations began. They threw them in walkie-talkies, and uh, Fred Carrasco he, he had this crazy idea of that if they would get out of there, they would go to Cuba. Uh, and appeal to Castro. And so, <laughs> Maybe not a bad plan. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, I mean, this guy was a powerful, you know, you know, drug dealer in South Texas and Mexico. He had lots of enemies. He had lots of friends, too. So, I mean, who knows what the connection was with Castro. But anyways, they started getting stuff. Uh, the FBI gave them what they wanted at the very beginning, which was simple stuff. Suits, dress shoes, um, all that type of stuff. And then all of a sudden... It got a little crazy. They got bulletproof helmets. Oh, boy. They were able to get that from the negotiators. And even the governor decided to give them what they really wanted, and that was an armored car. So they were going to take this armored car and, I guess, drive it to Mexico or drive it to an airport. <laughs> and the, gov- the governor at the time said, okay, let's let them have it. Because, I mean, this thing was going on for, for days, okay? Um, and so it kept going, and then um, they finally decided to kind of make their – their escape, and this is uh, this is August third, nineteen seventy four. They made the ran to the armor to the armored car, and they knew that the cops were going to probably shoot at them. So this is where the Trojan Taco story. What's comes from. what's the Trojan Taco, Drew? So really, what it was was um, they took like I guess blackboards and, and, and pieces of wood and put them together um, and books, and they taped it all together. So essentially, made like a thick kind of shield. Gotcha. Big, big, giant pieces of it, and they got those hostages to carry it. So the hostages were on the outside. Exactly. And I'm guessing they were in the middle. And they were in the <laughs> middle. These three uh, inmates were in the middle, and they were kind of moving, you know, almost like, a, almost like a, uh, you know, the the Trojans and the, would fight. It was just this moving shield. And so that's, so, that's, that's why they called it the Trojans. Yes, and and the cops they 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 knew about this, and they had had a plan set up to use. Um, Fire, ho- fire hoses, and they were going to, you know, just spray tons of water at them. And they had multiple hoses set up, but one of the hoses ruptured. One of the main ones ruptured, and um, some shooting started. And then one of the inmates shot one of the hostages. Actually, uh, two of them, and there were two women hostages killed in this. And um, the prison officials fired back. Um, Carrasco, the leader of this, he committed suicide. 
during this. One of his accomplices were killed. One of the guys was was caught. So they were trying to make it to the car, but they never actually. They never, yeah, they never made it to the car. They got pretty close, but uh, the FBI, Texas Rangers, stopped them. And so Carl Thomas of uh, HTXK PRC in Houston said uh, his famous quote, uh, just because there's so much media, obviously, nearby. He said, uh, it was a tragedy. Two hostages died, but a miracle that the rest lived. And they said, really, it was incredible that many that many people survived this. Uh, and this is, and it ended uh, one of the longest hostage-taking sieges uh, ever in U.S. history. Wow. Wow. I'm guessing Waco Waco's overtook that one. one. <laughs> what year did you say this was again? 1974. 74. That's insane that uh, Castro was involved, right? Yeah. Did you know he was a, um, I don't know about Castro, but uh, the Jonestown Massacre? Oh, yeah. They were involved with all kinds of communist countries. They yeah. Russia was there. They had wow. all kinds of Russians there. Wow. Well, I think, too, like the, if you go to Alcatraz, the main... The famous Alcatraz escape is they wanted to go to South America too. I think it was the plan, mm-hmm. but those bodies were never found. So right. <laughs> that'd be a fun one to do. Yeah. Alcatraz and Jonestown Massacre. Yeah. Drew, and that—that's that, really uh, thanks for that story because that—that kind of just shows you those are impossible situations, right? Yeah. And <laughs> this prison, I mean, it wasn't stranger to having really prominent inmates. So some of the past inmates have been. Houston rappers such as Pimp C and South Park South Mexican. SPM. And Ben, do you remember why South Park Mexican? Oh, yeah, he's just a wonderful guy. I think he uh, is doing time for aggravated sexual assault on minors. Jeez. FBI Houston to DEA on Houston Command. Impregnated a 13 year old or something. How long is he in for? He gets out in 2024. The other one that's there, Ben, is, or that was at the Huntsville prison, is Dog the Bounty Hunter. He was actually there for 18 months. He, he was, I think he was convicted as basically an accessory to murder because some guy that he was with killed a guy and he was in the getaway car. Mm. And so he got, he got sentenced and I think he ended up serving 18 months. But one of the things that happened was is one of the other inmates, when he was there, tried to escape. And he basically stopped the escape, essentially, wow, himself. Okay. And that's kind of what inspired him to become the, you know, the bounty okay, hunter. Yeah, wow. One of the other inmates at the Huntsville prison, people may not have heard of this guy, but he was actually has a very interesting story. Drew, can you tell us about John Wesley Harden? I'd be glad to, yeah. Uh, like Ben was talking about earlier on, John Wesley Harden is a great example of the, the Texas outlaw mentality, spirit, uh, whatever you want to call it. He he definitely had it. Some of the big stuff on John Wesley Harden, um, he grew up in a time post-Civil War. The Civil War was go- uh, just ended. Reconstruction uh, was going on. The, the North was moving in and, and Republican fever was coming into Texas and they were you know, kind of trying to change things, and and he didn't like that. I mean, John Wesley Harden was a was a hardcore Southerner. Killed his first man when he was fifteen, an ex-slave, uh, and he claimed that he killed the two black soldiers that were pursuing him. Uh, this is also the start in Texas. Uh, we get the Texas cattle tra- trails, uh, Texas cattle kingdom, uh, and he got a job on the Chisholm Trail herding cattle. Uh, and most of y'all know that the herd, the uh, Texas trail life was was pretty tough, and uh, 
he developed some of his problems there, especially with drinking and gambling. Uh, That's what a lot of outlaws did. They, they yeah. stole cattle, they stole horses. Yeah, what a badass things. life. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, here we live now. <laughs> when he got to Abilene, Kansas, where the Chisholm Trail ended, uh, Abilene was a wild place, and uh, he supposedly killed uh, a couple men there. And so his life really, um, at that point, it, it kind of settled down when he got back to Texas, uh, but that life of gunslinging eventually found him again. Just some side stories. In Waco, Texas, he, he shot a man and killed a man there, and he, and he escaped back off to Abilene, uh, where he ran into, uh, when he got there, he ran into Wild Bill Hickok. Not sure how they met, but they somehow became friendly. Hmm. Um, and so he was there in Abilene for a while, but one night at the hotel he was staying at, um, a man next door was really snoring loud. I mean, just like a train. And he took his gun out and shot through the wall and killed the guy. Um, you know, so, so John Wesley Harden, he, he definitely had some issues. And Wild Bill Hickok, he believed, couldn't even save him from this. So he left Abilene again. Hmm. And this is, I believe, before John Wesley Harden was even 21. On his 21st birthday, he got an argument with a, with a deputy in Texas. And the deputy actually shot him first. And then he shot back and he killed the deputy. And he fled Texas. He actually took his family at the time. Incredibly, this guy was married. And they fled to Florida. And in Pensacola, he was caught by the Texas Rangers. So the Texas Rangers ended up capturing him. Yeah, yeah, in Florida. And so um, he was brought back to Texas. He was put on trial. So for killing that sheriff, that's why he was put in Huntsville Prison. So, Drew, are you saying that he shot the sheriff? Yes, he shot the sheriff. (laughs) Bob Marley would be proud of Bob Marley there. (laughs) So eventually, he, he got... You know, he, he left um, left the prison system and uh, he went back to his wife. Uh, but eventually, he left her and he ran out to El Paso, where he eventually remarried another woman. There, he actually became a lawyer. So this is after he got out, served his yeah. This is, af- this is after he was pardoned in eighteen ninety four, and uh, when he was there and he was married, he got remarried. Well, he again he had a affair. With, a, with another woman. And it was uh, found out by the police. They, want, you know, they wanted to bring this up. A lot of them knew who John Wesley Harden was. You know, they knew him from his past. I mean, this guy, a lot of people didn't like. And he actually supposedly was going to hire a gunman to go kill whoever was going to snitch about him cheating on his wife. Hmm. And he was hanging out at the very famous Acme Saloon at this time in El Paso. He was uh, rolling dice playing cards, and an El Paso sheriff uh, officer, John Selman, came in that knew John Wesley Harden, that had some beef with him, and he was shot in the back. So when he shot the cop, he served his time but still got out and was able to live his life. But then when he cheated on his wife, that ended up getting him killed. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. So that's a great example, Drew, of... Like Ben was talking about, the Texas outlaw. I mean, his life is a personification of that. We're running low on time, so that's probably a good stopping point. If anybody wants more information, definitely go to the Huntsville Prison Museum if you're ever driving through Huntsville. We covered a lot of ground today. I thought the discussion was great. We're going to put some posts up on Instagram, so please get on at Texas Time Capsule and give us some comments, feedback, just to get engaged with the show. 
Hope you guys enjoyed the discussion today, and we will see you next episode when we open another Texas Time Capsule. Thank <laughs> you.